Hey, everybody. Welcome back to my channel. If you are new, my name is Allison, and you can find me on Instagram at a devotional heart. And today is a very special day for me. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time, and it's finally happening. And my guest today is somebody who is instrumental in my obsession for Orthodox Christianity, and um, he agreed to be on the show. He's a very busy guy, but we made this date for this stream or this video recording, and I'm just super, super happy. So, David Patrick Harry, welcome to my show. Allison, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm I'm honored to come on to your new YouTube channel, your new enterprise and ministry and work. We talked about this months and months before you even did it. Mm -hmm. uh, we, you were interested in it before you even went to your first Orthodox church. You're talking about how you wanted to kind of fill this niche. So how providential that it's all come again for you, myself, full circle. And now you're here and I'm here and we're talking about Orthodoxy. Yeah. So um, one of the main things I want to talk to you about is how you just your journey from Christianity, because I believe you were raised Christian, but then you went on a mm -hmm. journey through learning about world religions and um, psychedelics. And it's really only in the last couple of years that you became an Orthodox Christian. So can you take us through from, from your childhood up till okay. today? All right. So a uh, bit of a whirlwind. I grew up uh, conservative Methodist. So both of my parents were part of the Grace United Methodist Church. I'm from central Indiana in the Midwest, and there's actually a history of Methodist ministers in my family. So I have a couple uh, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, uncles that were ministers in the Methodist Church. And I grew up uh, going to churches on Sunday. Uh, I remember um, my senior year of high school, I wanted to take things a little bit more seriously. I remember going to church with my girlfriend at the time, my high school sweetheart, and then um, went to college. And on my first semester of college, that's when I really got into marijuana smoking on a regular basis, cruising around, listening to music, smoking joints. And I went to a small school called Manchester College, it's now Manchester University in northern Indiana near Fort Wayne, to play basketball. So throughout high school, I was interested in sports, football, basketball, and then I did track a little bit. But that was my whole life was athletics. And my sister was always noted as the sort of intellectual, the academic one. And so I remember she worked at a hospital when she was in high school, and she knew right away that she wanted to be a nurse, that she wanted to work in the hospital, and she's now a nurse practitioner. And so my life was all athletics. And then when I went to college and went to go play basketball at a small school, I had a heart murmur and that heart murmur prevented me from participating in the, the beginning of the season until I officially got cleared by the hospital. And once I did get cleared, I kind of already built this habit of smoking weed, going on joints. And I didn't like the clickiness of the basketball thing. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I ended up uh, not playing basketball that season, uh, quit the team, transferred to a school called Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. And that is where I did my undergraduate. 
And so that is when I thought, you know what, I'm going to redevote my life to Jesus Christ. I remember going to Walmart. I think I bought like a Joel Osteen book and something else about uh, Christianity and uh, the gospels. And, and I took a class that semester. So I did a fall semester at this school, uh, kind of decided that's not what I wanted to do, change my life, move back home with my parents, went to this commuter college. It's this uh, major university in, the, in Indianapolis, but most people, people commute. They don't live on campus. And I was like, okay, I was a pre-physical therapy major. Again, I was into athletics. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do with my life. So I was taking classes and one of the classes was on the Bible. And I thought, again, I'm buying these Joel Osteen books. Oh, this will be great. You know, this spring semester, I'm going to take a class on the Bible. But this was done by a academic scholar who introduced me to a lot of things that I was not aware of growing up in my sort of conservative, naive Methodist upbringing, including the critical analysis of scripture, learning about the Epic of Gilgamesh and how that mirrors the narrative of Noah, looking at the multiple author theory of the gospels, looking at uh, certain inconsistencies or, or just my naive understanding of scripture. And so that really affected me. And then I was like, whoa, maybe, you know, I wasn't educated very well on what this stuff means. Maybe this isn't what I believe in. And that led to eventually the next semester or the following semester after that, uh, doing a comparative world religions course. And so um, that first semester at IUPUI, I do that Bible class. I remember I take, you know, math, English or whatever, the kind of basics you have to do. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to devote my life to becoming a zoologist because I was thinking I was really interested in in like what what could I want to do I'm going to pursue whatever is because I, I no longer have basketball I no longer have athletics but I had this desire to like choose something and then get better at it and so uh, the first thing that I did um, was actually go adopt a dog from the animal shelter and I had a pit bull his name was Sergeant because he was abandoned at a military base called Camp Atterbury near where I grew up. And uh, I thought I was, maybe I was going to be a dog trainer. I was reading leader of the pack by Caesar Milan. Uh And I was like, so I went and get this big pit bull and I start training him and he becomes this incredibly well-trained. Everybody's impressed by this dog. And I'm thinking, well, maybe being a dog trainer isn't exactly what I want to do. I remember I was watching YouTube videos of people with like border collies doing Frisbee tricks and all this. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I was, I, wanted, I didn't know what I wanted for my life. I didn't know what it is that I wanted to devote myself to. I wanted to devote myself to something, and get mm-hmm. better at it. Mm-hmm. And so I began training Sarge. Um, that wasn't it. So maybe I want to be a zoologist. I like animals. So I start taking biology courses and I do the bio 101, bio 102. And I'm there with the pre, pre-med students. And I was not an academic, but I was devoting myself to biology now and I was started doing really well in those courses, which gave me a new sense of confidence as sort of scholastically. I never excel. I mean, I was always decent at school. I just never tried. There's never a lot of effort. And then I was doing really well in these biology courses. And I was looking at these other students who thought they wanted to be medical doctors. I'm like, well, geez, I did better than they did on the exam. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe I can go to graduate school. I'll be a zoologist. I'll study, you know, uh, apex predator, terrestrial apex predator uh, species. Uh, Something like Jeff Corwin, again, watching like Animal Planet and stuff like that. 
And I started go through the biology. Eventually, I took this comparative world religions course and got enamored with East Asian philosophy. So I got introduced to Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, and I really didn't have a religious belief because that got destroyed that that first semester at IUPUI with that Bible course. So it's like, man, I don't really know what it is, but I kind of feel spiritual. I like animals. I like nature, you know. And so that led to me taking more religion courses. So then I go, I'm a biology major. Now I get a religious studies minor. And so I start taking these courses in religious studies. At the same time, I started competing in Taekwondo, which is a Korean martial art. And that got me more interested in the East Asian stuff, watching Ip Man, all the Bruce Lee stuff. And I think, you know what? Look, I I can do the biology stuff. I'm doing the religious studies stuff. I'm going to learn Chinese and I'm going to go to China. And so that's what I did. So then it was like the third semester at IUPUI or the third third year, maybe um, I said, you know what? I'm going to study Mandarin Chinese. So at the time we had these things called the Confucianist Institute at that school. And this these institutes are actually sponsored by the CCP. It's a way to promote Chinese culture and language and all this stuff. And conspiracy, conspiracy theorists think that also it's a sort of spying program for the CCP, but that's neither here nor there. And I go in there and I ask them, how difficult is it to learn Chinese Mandarin? And they're like, Oh, not that hard. And I said, okay, well, uh, I want to sign up this next semester, or I think it may have been the beginning of that semester. I want to sign up for an intro to Mandarin. And so that's what I did. I remember studying Chinese for the first semester. And I just wanted to, again, because I, I had this confidence through really the biology and excelling in, in the science classes that whatever I want to do, I can do it. I just have to study and work at it. And that year, so that fall semester, I begin Chinese. I'd go the spring semester, and then I take a study abroad trip to Guangzhou, a, a university called Sun Yat-sen University or Zhongshan Dashui, and study Chinese language and culture for the summer. So uh, I'm a biology major. I have a minor in religious studies, and now I'm going to study Mandarin and. I really liked it. So I now beginning a year later, I have quote three semesters of Chinese, the fall semester, the spring semester, and then the semester in China. And I do it again. So now I do my fourth semester, my fifth semester, and I go to China again the next summer. So that's six semesters of Mandarin Chinese and had a lot of fun. Uh, I realized I didn't want to be a Chinese scholar at the time. Again, I'm competing in Taekwondo. So I'm enamored with like East Asian traditions. And that's why the Taoism, the Buddhism, mm -hmm. uh, really, really was a big interest of mine. And I was at this time really beginning to get into psychedelics. So I remember after that first summer abroad to China is when I really was getting into Alan Watts, Terrence McKenna, uh, doing LSD sessions by myself out in nature and realized that I liked studying the religious stuff more than the science. I, and in my mind, I knew I was going to graduate school, but I didn't know what it was for. I, I interned at one point at a neuroscience center thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll do neuroscience. Um, but it was the religion. I kept coming back to these religion courses that I like taking. And so long story short, I ended up finishing. I changed my, my study. So I just had a few more, I think, organic chemistry and something else. 
and then the labs for it to finish my biology degree. But I wanted to go to graduate school for religious studies. So I just changed that to a minor, changed my minor of religious studies to a major and got an academic certificate in Chinese language and culture and did a capstone on theories of magic. So I looked at the religious studies theorist and what magic is. And they have traditionally, there's a theory of magic, religion, and science. And, and this is sort of the progression of human reason and our understanding of causality in the world. So uh, I go to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. I get accepted for a master's degree in religious studies. Where there, I focus on psychedelic shamanism and early Christianity with real intense interest in Gnosticism. So most people maybe have heard of Gnosticism, uh, but they're not aware that there are 52 books written about, quote unquote, Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth, four of which are in the Bible. Those are the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. And then there's 48 other books. And I was really interested in all these other books and the wisdom that I thought they contained and this or that. So my master's degree was focused on studying uh, Greek, uh, Koine Greek, and looking at early Christianity, taking classes on the history of the early church and its contentions with the various schools, the Valentinian school of Gnosticism. Again, Valent Valentinus also almost became the second pope. Uh, and if he was the second pope or the bishop of rome it would have totally changed christian history because he had a school of gnosticism out of alexandria egypt so that's a oh. you know, side note can Anyways. i interrupt and ask you a quick sure. question when you were studying the early christianity weren't you also seeing how like the gnostic beliefs were heretical to the early christians i mean did you but i wasn't a believer so yeah. i i saw kind of the basic arguments that a lot of the stuff that I criticize now on my YouTube channel, um, I was in favor of the Gnostic stuff. So I felt like, oh, look, the, the hegemonic mm -hmm. belief structure mm -hmm. of the institutional Christianity was suppressing these Gnostic yes. traditions and look right. at the multiplicity of texts. There's 48 other books. And how come mm -hmm. nobody's read about the Gospel of Thomas mm -hmm. or the Gospel of Mary or the Gospel of Judas or the infancy Gospels of Christ? Nobody knows anything about this, you know, it's, and so it gave me a sense of pride because it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're a Christian. Okay. How much do you know about, again, it, these, all these other books and like, what? I've, I've never heard about those. I, like, I know. Right. And then so, did you think Jesus lived in India during those? Um, I was definitely aware of the sort of Essenes theory. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the Essenes. And that Christ, the theory is that he was an Essene and that he went to Egypt and he went to China and he went to India and he went through Persia. And that's why then his professional career as a teacher isn't until later in his life. So I was aware of that. I don't know if I uh, was in full support, but I was I was very interested in all these different theories, including the Gnostic scriptures. And so that's what my master's degree was focused on. But like my focus on biology, like my brief focus on neuroscience, like my brief focus on East Asian traditions, uh, during my master's degree, I did not want to be a historical scholar. And so this whole focus on, on Gnosticism and these early texts and trying to learn Greek and, and translate, it's like, well, I don't want to devote the rest of my life to writing books 
that 20 to 40 other scholars around the world will read and like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, but that's it. And, and that was the kind of the people I was working with at the university is the majority of the department was historical scholarship. And I was like, well, that, that just seems kind of boring. I don't want to do that. So I graduate um, from the University of Illinois with my religious studies master's degree. Again, these focuses on the history of Gnosticism, early Christianity, and then uh, psychedelic drugs and tribal structures. So I was looking at shamanism, both uh, Native American peyote use, uh, ayahuasca use in South America. And oh, I'm gonna I decided, again. go so ahead. By this time, you've You've done LSD. What about oh, yeah. mushrooms or anything else like oh, that? Oh, yeah. Mushrooms, okay. DMT. I hadn't done ayahuasca yet, but I I had done a lot of LSD and a lot of mushrooms. And I was very interested uh, because I believe the psychedelics were this sort of epitome of, spirit, of spirituality. I, I had this belief system that um, all these sort of institutionalized, formalized structures of religion were just ways to sort of maintain the wisdom that can be accessible through the alteration of one's personal consciousness. And so um, I, that was my spiritual practice. I would do, you know, a half a strip of acid and go sit out in nature uh, quite frequently. I would, I would eat, you know, as Terrence McKenna calls it, the heroic dose of five grams of psilocybin, dried psilocybin, no problem. That's that. And so I had this spiritual pride because I, I knew more about the world religions. I knew about things other people didn't do. And then I felt like I was having experiences that other people hadn't had. And so the idea of, of quote unquote, identifying with one tradition at that point just seemed really uh, archaic. It's like, no, I'm on the leading edge, whatever, the, you know, because it's, it's, you know, at this point, what, 2015, uh 2015, 2016, 2014, that I'm on the leading edge of what religion is. Mm -hmm. It has to do with this new understanding of these drugs post the 1960s counterculture and how then they connect back to all the mystery traditions and all this different stuff. And so I will connect this then to now what my dissertation project is and what my research is. But I had a lot of spiritual pride that I was on the leading edge of what it meant to be religious and spiritual because I had already known all these things that you couldn't have known, you know, you know, back in the day, you couldn't have been able a thousand years ago to know what I knew about Hinduism, Buddhism, because you didn't have access to all the information. So I was like, oh, well, I have access to all this information. And then I've had all these experiences and I have all the drugs that I could want to want to take. You know, I wasn't really interested in the party drugs per se. I was really interested in spirituality. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was, you know, big on meth or heroin or cocaine or anything like that. It was psychedelics. It was deep, high dose psychedelic trips because Terrence McKenna, who I was very much interested in, and at this time created a new YouTube channel called Fractal Universe, spelt Y-O-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-E. So it's your universe because you are your own universe, right? And then the, the universe, once you realize it's fractal, so it's a fractal pattern of oneself and that's how we experience the world. Um, so that's what I understood through the psychedelics. And so I had this YouTube channel called Fractal Universe and I would create these videos of Terrence McKenna, Robert Anton Wilson, Alan Watts, Timothy Leary, 
um, with these really beautiful visuals. And so the point was for people to be able to sit there sober or smoking their joints at night and they would watch my videos. And it wasn't my ideas. It was all these gentlemen's, but I had put it together in a production that you could just uh, be sort of taken away with because whatever they're talking about, I would have visuals emerge. It would, it would animate whatever it is that they were talking about, kind of bring it to life. And so that's what I was doing. And that's how I began make money is these YouTube, this YouTube channel promoting all the psychedelic, uh, spiritual, but not religious type stuff, new age ideas. And at the same time, I was very critical of like the wishy-washy, um, you know, over feeling uh, new age. So I would kind of mock that person. But at the same time, I didn't have the sophistication to realize how my world, my paradigm was totally consistent with whatever they believed as well. Mm. Anyways, so it's very prideful because I had all these experiences that nobody, in my mind, nobody else could know what I knew. And so um, I graduate from the University of Illinois with this YouTube channel, deep, deeply immersed in the psychedelics. And I think, geez, I don't want to do historical scholarship, but I want to get a PhD. The whole point to get the master's was to get a PhD. I knew when I was going to China that I wanted to get a PhD. I knew I'll, all I could think about is I want to be the professor, walk around campus with my tweed jacket, with my briefcase, you know, and just blowing people's minds, you know, <laughs> dropping bombs on these kids, blowing their minds. And and I, that's what I wanted to do. That's how I envisioned whatever I was doing, what I was leading towards. Um, so fast forward, I eventually get accepted to the universe or to the graduate theological union, which is a partnered with the sort of university of California, Berkeley. So it's in Berkeley, California. It's a separate Institute, but it's called the graduate theological union. So the university of California, Berkeley has a very small religious studies department, but if you're going to go to graduate school to study religion or religious studies, you'd go over across the street to the graduate theological union. And so I applied to multiple different universities and I decided, you know what I'm going to study? I'm going to study people who are spiritual, but not religious and why they appropriate certain symbols. I was interested, okay, why, why the Buddha heads, why Ganesha is so popular, why, uh, you know, the cosmic Christ symbol. So I just wanted to look at, and so this was my academic, this is what I got accepted for is I'm going to study people identify as spiritual, not religious and look at what symbols they appropriate the most. And then why they appropriate that and how that informs then their spiritual worldview of which I self-identified as spiritual, not religious. Mm -hmm. So then I get to Berkeley and I feel like I'm on top of the world uh, because all the stuff that I was promoting, the psychedelics, the Terrence McKenna, um, Berkeley's the epicenter. Berkeley's where all this stuff gets going. The psychedelic counterculture, it's all related to Berkeley, California. Yeah. Now I'm this kid from Midwest, Indiana, who's traveled parts of the world, uh, done all these kind of cool things. And I have this YouTube channel in conjunction with all the academic stuff. I have a YouTube channel promoting all the psychedelic stuff. And you had, by then you had how many followers roughly? Uh, probably, I don't know, 40,000, maybe oh somewhere gosh, around there. That's a lot. That's a that's lot. How I, yeah. I thought it was, I felt <laughs> like I, yeah, I felt like this was my purpose. This was my synchronicity mm -hmm. that, um, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And um, that led to me living in Berkeley. And again, this is 2016, the end of 2016, 17. And 
this is then you have the whole Trump phenomenon. Yeah, I was going to ask what were your political views at this time? Um, I typically wasn't too political. I would probably identify myself as libertarian because growing up where I grew up, I like guns. I shot guns growing up. So it was like I was like a mixture between like this really psychedelic uh, progressive new age worldview with like, yeah, I like guns, uh, you know, leave me alone, you know, let me do. So it was, it was basically sort of a libertarianism. And I get to Berkeley. This is so the first semester was the fall of 2017. Um, I get to Berkeley and I see the homelessness. I see the rampant drug use of which I'm promoting drug use in, in a Midwest culture where we don't have all this homelessness. You know, things are a little, the streets are cleaner. Um, and so it's like I'm this radical person from where I come from. But now I'm put into a context where I'm not that radical. And I'm seeing all the worldview that I am promoting and what it creates. And the really opened my eyes because this is the this is fall 2017. And you have the Trump phenomenon and Jordan Peterson is really uh, hitting his really entering into his apex. I think 2018 is like the top of his sort of uh, popularity. And the the university is very open about their animosity towards white men. (laughs) And and so this was, you know, just the students and some of the rhetoric, you know, the critical race theory, because we're at now at the high level. This is a Ph.D. program. So, you know, it's not like the critical race there eventually gets trickled down to the elementary schools, the high schools. I mean, this is, you know, this is what what they do and this is what they're promoting. And and so to see the animosity of where I came from and much of the things that I took for granted just regarding, OK, I was still physically fit. I like to work out. I like to be that these represented an, an ethos of toxic masculinity, of overbearingness. I like mm. to, when I was in the PhD program, I like to debate with the students, you know, okay, well, you said this, well, I think this, and it wasn't that I was angry at them, but this became a little too confrontational. I had professor, Hey, you, you know, take it easy on, on, you know, going back and forth with some of the students, you know, and, and which shows you the feminization yes. of knowledge itself and that you can't, combat you can't critique people's you can't try to undermine what it is that they think to be true to you know there's no there's no room for competition and so that was the first semester i really get i really begin to notice these things but i'm still deeply in the psychedelic stuff taking classes on like new religious movements um uh high higher level philosophy type stuff and in the basement of the Graduate Theological Union, they had all these tapes and these reels, these reels um, that I go down there and I see all these lectures of Terrence McKenna that didn't exist on the Internet. And wow. so, again, I think, wow, wow, this is my providence. This is my synchronicity that I'm I'm I have this YouTube channel and I'm here at the school and I'm a Ph.D. pro in the Ph.D. program. And then, look, you know, I have access to these. So I had the librarian at the time. Um, he he took all these reels and turned them into MP3 files and gave them to me. And then I created more videos with them for my YouTube channel. So my YouTube channel and it still has, although those videos are taken down. If you go to the YouTube channel, it's just my videos on like religious symbols. Um, But I had videos of Terrence McKenna that didn't exist anywhere. They didn't because it was recorded and it was put in the basement of the school that I just happened to be going to in Berkeley, California. Wow. So 
uh, the, the YouTube channel is really excelling. Uh, I'm, that's how I'm making money and living in California. And I, my first, that first semester, then my research project was on the book called the psychedelic gospels by Dr. Jerry and Julie Brown. And Dr. Jerry Brown is actually on my PhD committee. He's a wonderful gentleman, very kind. Um, and he has a book highlighting the frescoes in Western Europe, particularly Germany, France, Spain, parts of Italy, and the Psalter of Canterbury in England that clearly show a symbolic import of psychedelic mushrooms, what appear to be Amanita muscaria, the very famous red and white mushroom. So now I see, okay, interesting. I'm this big psychedelic person. I got this YouTube channel. I'm one of the more prominent voices within the psychedelic YouTube community. And now I get this book that shows that, oh, actually, uh, Christianity is tied to the use of psychedelics. And I had already been aware of uh, The Sacred Cross and the Mushroom, which is a book by uh, John Marco Allegro, who claimed that Jesus Christ was a mushroom. Mm -hmm. And this is based on his translation of the Dead Sea Scrolls at the time. So I was already aware of that book and thinking that, oh, Interesting. Uh, so maybe Jesus Christ is a mushroom. Maybe the whole Eucharistic practice of Christianity is a misunderstanding of the use of inebriating substances, which then from my own experience with all the LSD, the psilocybin, the DMT, that, oh, this is, that's what it is. That's, you know, that's why he was enlightened again, the sort of cosmic Christ Christology. So I do a research paper on this book and through the work of people like Carl A.P. Ruck, who's another very prominent scholar promoting uh, psychedelics as really sort of the origin of religion, the origin of many of the mystery traditions. I see that Pagaman Harmala um, uh, used within the Mithraic mysteries, which were common in Rome, which were common in Persia, uh, which is tied then uh, scholars speculate that the psychedelic use of Pagaman Harmala by Zoroastrianism, which is considered the first monotheism, mm -hmm. is tied to the Vedic god Soma, who, if you read the Rig Veda, which is the Aryan beginning religion in India, people, because, so the Aryans take over, they dominate what we would consider now India. And they create the old religious tradition called the Vedic period or the Vedic. So the, the Rig Veda then talks about these gods. Agni is the fire deity, but there's one of them is Soma. And Soma is this intoxicating brew that the priest would, in, they would drink. They would take in Soma to be illuminated by his wisdom. So a lot of people speculated, religious scholars speculated, this was some type of psychedelic beverage. So I was connecting then Soma and Pagaman Harmala use within the Mithraic mysteries, within Zoroastrianism, with uh, the ergot use of some type of beverage, the, the Kikekion in the Alicinian mysteries, the ancient Greek mysteries, again, uh, which is in a book called The Road to Eleusis with R. Gordon Wasson, uh, Carl A.P. Ruck, and um, uh, who's... Oh, Albert Hoffman, the, the mm -hmm. gentleman who synthesized LSD in, in the 1940s. So they have this whole book arguing that the origin of the Alicinian mysteries is a psychedelic beverage. So now I've connected all this stuff and I see how it's related then to a heretical practice that got going in Christianity. So I, I look into this book, I write my own research paper on it and I see, okay, uh, it's possible. It's possible that maybe Christ was the mushroom or all this different six. I'm a non-believer at the time, mm -hmm. but um, 
the least the the instances that are presented in the book, the psychedelic gospel, um, much of them, especially within southern southern France, northern Spain, uh, southern Germany, that these were probably heretical practices that got going due to crusaders going to the Holy Land, because when you look at the uh, when you look at the these symbolism popping up. Um, even in like the baptistry of Parma, which is a baptistry inside a Christian baptistry inside Italy, in Parma, Italy. And it shows Christ standing on what is clearly a red and white mushroom. And this is his, this is their, this baptistry's depiction of the transfiguration. Well, I mean, obviously what, what's the transfigure? Oh, he's taking the psychedelic mushroom clearly. And so you go on the outside of the baptistry and you can see all this symbolism uh, dedicated to Mithra. And so then you can take, oh, Mithraism, the mythology of Mithras, and then Jesus Christ, it all kind of goes together. I want to, I just want to interject because Uh this is so much fun to listen to this. I'm sure the audience can relate with me right now that, I'm I'm going on this journey here with you because everything you're saying, if I was learning these things, I'd be connecting all these same exact things. And you're reading these highly um, academic. I mean, these are academic researchers. So you're like, this, this has got to be it. Like the, I'm on the trail to absolute, like, I'm going to blow the lid off of all of this. Once I start teaching, like you said, like dropping bombs on my students to blow right. their minds. Cause I am getting how this is all making sense. So, so far I'm with you. Like, yeah, well that does make sense. Oh, well that makes sense too. So I can't wait to hear the right. next part. <laughs> so, um, could this combined with my drug use with my, my psychedelic use with, the YouTube channel with my scholarship, it all just felt like it was coming together and that it was all synchronistic. This was, right. this was my life's purpose. Mm-hmm. And that I, again, so I felt like I was this unique chosen person at the time that nobody else in the world is doing exactly what I'm doing. I right. I'm, it's all coming together. And, uh, and so once I saw that this tradition was a bit heretical, that it wasn't necessarily promoted through the church. And that's why there was all contextual, historically contextualized that the baptistry of Parma, um, it, it, it was built, I believe in the late nine hundreds. So we have the 10th century, basically towards the end of the 14th century, the end of the 1300s, all the frescoes, all the imagery of Adam and Eve and the original sin being a, a psychedelic mushroom being Amanita muscaria, um, uh, St. Bernard of Hildesheim, he had his own church, of which is a clear depiction. They have a Jesse tree uh, depiction on the ceiling of this uh, of this German Catholic church in Hildesheim, Germany, and it is clear that it is an Amanita muscaria mushroom, clearly. And this is the root of the Jesse tree. The Jesse tree is the root of the lineage of King David and everything through Jesus up to Jesus Christ. This is the Jesse tree. And it's showing these psychedelic uh, imagery. And then you, then you, again, this is all in the book, the psychedelic gospels. You look on the, the steel, the metal doors to the church, and it has anatomically correct psychedelic psilocybin mushrooms that are indigenous to that part of Germany. And so you're like, wow. So we have Bernard, St. Bernard of Hildesheim, who was the educator of, of Otto II. He had his own church. He built his own church. He had his own monastery and his, that he has a pillar dedicated to him. The front doors of the church, they all have psychedelic mushrooms on them. And I'm thinking this is 
like huge. And so um, I write this paper and I see it, it being a sort of contextualized phenomenon. The Inquisition by the Catholics issued by uh, the Vatican stomped out most of these people. So the Cathars and the, um, <laughs> which is a group in Southern France, again, what I believe happened is during the Crusades, and that's why this is all contextualized within a particular historical period, is that Catholics, Christian, well, all Catholics, Protestant Reformation didn't happen yet. Catholics were going to the Holy Land, and they were encountering old Gnostic Christians along with Manichaeans. So there's a whole tradition called Manichaeanism, which is developed by a gentleman, a Mani, who is from what we would consider now um, Persia or Iran. And he had this whole uh, incredibly dualistic religious worldview, uh, radical dualism. And, that, and that's also consistent with the Gnostic worldview. But the Manichaeans were known throughout the ancient period for their, in, for their use of mushrooms. They love to eat mushrooms. And you have records over in China, and this is some of the scholar, scholarship by Carl A.P. Ruck, finding uh, Chinese sources describing the Manichaeans and how Wherever they went, they would consume tons and tons of mushrooms, both inebriating and non-inebriating, that they love to eat mushrooms. And so what I imagine is that these Catholics going to the Holy Land re-encounters Gnostic Christians that were probably ingesting <clears throat> inebriating mushrooms, Manichaeanism, uh, Mithraic mysteries, and that they incorporated this into their Christian worship, where it is very possible that they were using psychedelic mushrooms for the Eucharist. But that's why you, you see a, a sort of definitive beginning point and then an end point through the Inquisition. They're all killed out. So you don't see the frescoes or any of this stuff uh, continue. And you, if anybody wants to look, you can just search uh, Plain Corralt, France, Chapel, Church, and you'll see a whole depiction of what appears to be an Amanita muscaria mushroom as the originating uh, source of uh, Adam and Eve. And then you'll see that they're covering themselves what appears to be the cap of a mushroom. So... Uh, once they had the originals, once they saw as God, they could see the difference between good and evil. And so in Gnosticism, then that's why they venerate Eve, because Eve isn't the one who uh, disobeyed God, because in a Gnostic worldview, the God of the Old Testament is actually Yadaboeth, Beelzebub, the devil. And so they disobeyed the evil one because he wanted to keep them in a prison. And so because she ate the psychedelic mushroom and, and expanded her consciousness, she's actually liberated humanity. She didn't entrap us through fallen human nature. Okay, so I do all this research, write this paper, and then I think I'm dating uh, a Ukrainian girl at the time. And I knew that she, culturally she was Orthodox. Uh, she wasn't like a strong believer or anything like that. but. Um, I think, okay, I bet given Eastern Orthodoxy's use of icons and all the visual depictions, I bet I could find some of the mushroom stuff in Eastern Orthodoxy. And so that next semester, so the second semester at my PhD program, I take a course with the, uh, with the Greek parish there on uh, Eastern Orthodox history and theology. Again, I'm a non-believer, and I'm really interested in the psychedelic stuff and how maybe I can find pieces of it within Eastern Orthodoxy, because there's a book written by R. Gordon Wasson, who is a VP, uh, you know, high up in J.P. Morgan, and he was funded. So he writes the first article in 1957 in Life magazine about Maria Sabina, this shamaness in Mexico, 
And so in Mexico, so him and his wife, whose name is Valentina Pavlovna, a Russian woman, they kind of blow the top off the popularity of the use of psychedelic mushrooms. Now, you already had research going on in the 1950s with the use of LSD due to the synthesization of Albert Hoffman. So in the 1950s, the later 1950s, the gentleman from J.P. Morgan, R. Gordon Walson, he, he begins to do all this research and make known the use of psychedelic mushrooms and how it's related to shamanism. And he goes to Maria and Sabina and has these experiences, has this stuff. And then you get articles from like Henry Munn and the mushrooms of language and all this different stuff. Well, they write a book together called, I believe it's um, Mushrooms, History in Russia or something. It's, it's, it's those three words. It's maybe in a different order. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of their book is using Valentina Pavlovna's Russian language and her Slavic roots to show how in Slavic language, they have hundreds of words for mushrooms. And that in Slavic culture, it's so common for grandmothers and mothers to take their daughters out into the woods and teach them what mushrooms you pick. And you use these mushrooms for these types of cuisines and these taste like this. And these, you want to stay away from these. Where in English, we are mushroom, as he would say, mushroom phobic. So we have fungus, mushroom, and toadstool. Those are the only three words for mushrooms in English. Where in Russia, Russian languages and most Slavic languages, you have tons of words for mushrooms. And so he would call this a mushroom philic uh, culture. So I already knew all this. So I take this course then on Eastern Orthodoxy, knowing its relationship to Slavic peoples and thinking, oh, I bet all this Slavic culture, I bet they've, al they've already brought into the use of mushrooms in Orthodoxy. And so I take this class and I read. So then I'm, I'm reading and it wasn't as historical as I wanted. It wasn't as secular as I wanted. It was, it was done by a, a female Orthodox theologian. And it was reading um, Stanilo and Lasky and Florovsky and um, Bokakov and all these different uh, or Orthodox theologians. And I'm thinking, okay, I mean, I, I remember telling her, I mean, I like reading this stuff, but it's a little too poetic for me because I'm a non-believer and it's talking about Christ and the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, okay, I mean, yeah, I really liked how he was talking about Aristotle and how this related, but I mean, you know, it's a, it's a little much for me. And but as the semester just went on, the concept of logos, which is the Greek word for who we believe Christ is, who incarnated as Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And so I was already aware of Logos and its relationship to Plato, Heraclitus. So Heraclitus 500, say, BC, before Christ. Um, he, Heraclitus is really the first one to talk about uh, the Logos and how this, this concept of the Logos, it unifies opposites. It's the source of logic and reason and numbers and truth, and it unifies all things. Everything is connected back to the logos. Now, in Greek philosophy, it's a very abstract thing. The logos is not a person, but I was already aware of Heraclitus, and then his ideas are being picked up by Plato and his his logos, and then how that gets developed uh, even a little bit in Aristotle. And then you have Stoicism, the the real the sort of philosophy religious tradition of the Roman Empire. Uh, so you have people like Marcus Aurelius, a uh, great Stoic, you know, kind of the epitome of Plato's philosopher king. 
Um, and stoicism is all about that nature is created by the thing called the logos, and it is the source of all order. Again, the root word of logic itself is logos. Mm -hmm. So for the Stoics, there is nothing higher than virtue. All your whole life should be dedicated to virtue. And the way you become virtuous is to get in line with the logos, which is also to get in line with the sort of natural order of the world. And so I was aware of that. And then I'm reading this Orthodox stuff and they, and, and now I'm, I can see where they're taking this logos concept and they're going in a different direction with it. And I'm thinking, wow, that's okay. That's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. By the end of the semester, I'm thinking, look, I don't, you know, uh, you guys don't understand what I know about all the psychedelic stuff, but this concept of logos and this, you know, logos, it's pretty cool. I like this Orthodox stuff. And at that time, I remember I had access to DMT, LSD, psilocybin as much as I wanted. And I had, I had plenty and I would take these drugs and I was trying to get into these realms where I could meet these entities that Terrence McKenna kept talking about. And so I would eat eight grams of dry mushrooms, which is a lot. And for those of you who are aware and are listening, you're probably thinking eight grams. Yeah, I would do eight grams. And I just never got the experience that Terrence McKenna kept talking about. Can I interrupt and ask a sure. question about the entities? Because I don't know that much about Terrence McKenna's work or uh-huh. I was never drawn in to read his stuff or anything. Um, were these entities supposed to help you mm-hmm. gain not more knowledge or did mm-hmm. you have any kind of idea that maybe they were demonic or you just weren't going there with it yet? I didn't, th- I, I didn't think of, I didn't think of it as demonic. I thought of them as um, that, which is expressed throughout the different religious traditions as spiritual entities that humans can communicate with. And so whether the, you call them angels, whether you call them jinn, whether you call them whatever it is, you know, in different world religions, um, different avatars within Hinduism that I bet what, what, you know, the commonality between all this stuff is that if you, if you break through the sort of veil of reality that you can actually communicate with these things. And that's how I understood, you know, Terrence McKenna's self-transforming machine elves or the voice of the mushroom and coinciding with the end of that semester in Orthodox theology was me exacerbating as much drug use, psychedelic use I could have. And I just never got there. And it just felt like, and I, that no matter how much I took, no matter how many insights I thought I had, I always felt like I have to go deeper. I have to go deeper. I have to take more uh, because I, I need to know the truth. I need to, you know, I need to put everything together. I, I was obsessed with connecting dots. That's what like, my big, my favorite thing. And, and that's kind of what I try to do. Well, I'll get to that with my YouTube channel, but my, I get a thrill out of seeing something I didn't see before. Yeah. And um and that's why the psychedelics then were so addictive, not at like a physical addiction, but like, okay, well, it's been about a month and a half. It's time to do another high dose psychedelic trip. And um, coinciding with basically exacerbating the drugs and taking as much as I want to take, doing whatever it is I want to do with them and never getting the thing that I wanted, taking then this Orthodox theology course where I had the, I had the, the basis to understand it. Now, again, I was a non-believer, but because of all the philosophy, because of all the education, because of all the world religious stuff that I had done, it was, it was like seeds hitting fertile soil. Mm-hmm. 
And so, oh, okay. So that leads to that next summer. So I do semester one, semester two. Now it's the summer. And this is this is the summer of 2018. And my politics were definitely changing because now I'm in California. I can feel the culture war. I can feel the animosity for many of the values that I appreciate about growing up in a conservative Midwest family in town. And you had Trump and everything and the whole Trump derangement syndrome stuff going on. And I saw this at, at the university, but at the same time, I'm promoting, you know, radical forms of inebriation and psychedelic use. So that led to that summer, me becoming much more quote unquote conservative, but I wasn't giving up the psychedelics per se, but I was certainly much more conservative. And I remember it was later that summer that I bought St. Maximus, the confessor, I bought this book of which I always recommend to people, the cosmic mystery of Jesus Christ. Now I had already read the theology, the, you know, I had the basis of some, or I had the basis of like the Orthodox worldview. I knew what the energy essence distinction was. I knew all this stuff. And that's why I thought it was so interesting. I was like, Hmm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious, but if I were to choose a religious tradition, it would probably be this Orthodox, this or this logos theology is just so cool. It, it just makes so much sense. And so I read that book and I loved it. And then I got but back would to, you, would you say that because you weren't fully a believer, you didn't believe that Jesus Christ was actually a real man? Like, was he like a symbolic, was it yes, from a symbolic place? And this is where I would say I'm pretty much in line with Jordan Peterson at this point, because mm -hmm. now I'm seeing the utility of Christianity. I'm seeing the utility of the values that I come from in the Midwest. I'm seeing uh, the intellectual sophistication of this concept of logos, even which Jordan Peterson was then uh, talking about as well. Now he didn't read all the orthodoxy stuff that I read. So it was like, it was like, perfect. He was talking about logos in a sort of pop cultural way, you know, speak truth, puts the world in order. And then I'm reading like the details of the Orthodox theology. And uh, that summer you have Trump, everything that's going on. And I just felt like, okay, I, I, I'm definitely on this side of the culture war, you know, with Jordan Peterson, the sort of masculinity, we have to reclaim masculinity, we have to get our house in order, you know, and this idea of logos. And so this is also somebody like E. Michael Jones at this point, I think is becoming a little bit more popular towards the end of 2018, 2019. And uh, this concept of logos, I read that book and I'm thinking, wow, it's like I could read it and adopt it all without believing in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it just makes sense. You know, you don't need, you know, it's like you don't need to believe Jesus walked on water. You just need all this other theology. You just need this whole framework. This is, this is, this is it. And then I do another LSD trip that fall. And that LSD trip um, connected a lot of dots for me. It basically all the things that I thought that I liked about psychedelics and the new age and being spiritual, but not religious. I saw reinterpreted within an Orthodox worldview. So then I re-understood what theosis and this idea that I am God, but how do I become God? This idea of that we are all one, but how do we, but it's our human nature that is all one. And this idea that we just need to love each other, but that's to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And it just went on and on and on. The energies, the essence energy distinctions and in, in the, the energetic properties of God, the uncreated energies is how we engage with, with the Holy Trinity and like, okay, well, yeah, I already have this worldview of energies and, and cymatics, how language and, and words themselves have vibrational energies and actually form patterns. And, and then God spoke the world into existence and he's the word. And so on this LSD trip, I connected all this different stuff. Wow. And it's like, wow, everything that I liked about the new age, it's present here within Orthodox Christianity. Mm. And um, what about the idea of repentance or even, um, the story of Genesis, did you put together the tree of knowledge of good and evil? I mean, not, not yet. It was more that God spoke the world into existence. And so this is the way that then we imitate God by speaking. And, and then this is why then, then speaking truth is so important because God created the world by creating order. And so our natural world is ordered. And so, well, I recapitulate this process by speaking truth. And so then just what Jordan Peterson's talking about in culture and I didn't have a sense of humility to even repent because in my, in my mind, well, I'm a good person. I don't treat people bad. I'm not trying to fool anybody. I'm not doing evil things at all. So in my mind, well, I'm a good person. What, you know, I don't really need to repent from anything. And then that fall I do, you know, so I still have two more semesters of coursework before I can work on my research. And so then that fall, I entered that semester because I did that trip probably right before that semester started. And I remember I devoted myself to Jesus Christ on 11-11, 2018, 2018. What? 11-11? Yeah, today. 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 So three years from today. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? That is so cool. I just got chills. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't connect that till now that you mentioned it. Yeah, so three <laughs> years from today, um, I decided, you know what? I'm going to devote my, myself to the logos, which is Jesus Christ. It's not, you know, cause I can't just address the logos as the logos, the logos is Jesus Christ. And so, um, that's what I did. I remember I bought a cross. Actually, I think I have it right here. Actually, I bought this cross. It's like a Celtic cross. Yeah. It's a Celtic crucifix. Mm -hmm. And it's because my name's Patrick. And so what would I buy? Well, I'd buy something that symbols St. Patrick, just like behind you, that icon. So um, I bought that cross and I began wearing it. And I, uh, you know, I was like, well, um, this is, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be a, a Christian, I guess. And so I started to read more really what began my Christian spiritual practice. is I began praying before I went to bed and anybody who's talked to me in a one-on-one -on -one session or watched some of my streams, I tell everybody to pray before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. And that was a real big transitory period in my heart. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like this whole process was an intellectual thing. Mm -hmm. And then the psychedelics was a connecting the dots intellectual thing, which then resonated at an emotional level, which caused me to then change, change my way. But it was through nightly prayer that I could, I, I began changing the way I felt and changing the way that I talked about Jesus. And, um, and so by the end of, by the end of 2018, I basically was, you know, some type of Christian. And I began going to Orthodox liturgies. Now, I didn't know, 
you know, I wouldn't identify as Orthodox per se, because I was kind of new agey, Christian, Protestant, Orthodox. It was weird because it was like, I loved Orthodox theology, but I'm not an Orthodox. You know, I, I can so read my Bible. Did you already say this did, by now? Had you rejected Gnosticism or were you, was there some things about Gnosticism you still liked? There were still things about Gnosticism that I would think, oh, well, that's pretty interesting. I kind of like that. Um, so it was me still trying to work all this stuff out uh, in, in a new new eyes because it's now it's not just about all the psychedelics it's like it's more about um the worldview as as jay dyer who then at sort of i think it was the summer of 2018 towards that end period right before that that lsd trip where i started connecting i think i listened to the first the first video i watched of jay dyer was how god or numbers prove the existence of god Hmm. And uh, he still has that video up and I watched that video and now he's talking about paradigms, the metaphysical presuppositions of my worldview to even discuss, you know, truth or logic or numbers or anything like that. And I watched that video and I thought, wow, okay, that's pretty interesting. And again, it's like, I feel very privileged because this, this, this whole process happened fairly quickly because I already had read so much. I already had so much that it's like, I could, I could take off as soon as I got the information, I could, I could take off with it. And so, um, I can, I commit myself to Jesus Christ and, and just through continual prayer. I don't even know what this means. And, you know, to me, it's kind of, I'm a Protestant on 11, 11, 2018. Then that leads to, um, watching a lot of content, watching videos by early 2019. I'm in my last semester for classwork for my PhD program. And now I see the whole pedophilia thing. And I see people in Berkeley advocating for minor attracted individuals. And, um, and I, I saw the parades and I saw, you know, at when I was in Berkeley, it's when they had the Ann Coulter and Milo and mm-hmm. Ben Shapiro came and one of the professors hit a kid with a bike lock and then the city of Berkeley lets him free. Like they don't even charge him with anything. And so now I'm seeing all this stuff from a new perspective and, and I'm just like, wow. So maybe evil does really exist. You know, I really had the sense that I could see evil in the world now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, it was, so on my church of eternal logos, I think I started the channel at the beginning of 2019, but again, I'm like a Protestant, uh, Christian that knows Orthodox theology that can talk about the logos that has like, especially in Gnosticism. And, um, I make a few videos just like I make a video and then I won't do anything because I'm still making videos on my psychedelic channel, my fractal universe, because that's how I make money. So it's like, now I'm making videos and that's not really where my heart is. I, you know, it's like, I already heard all these ideas of Terrence McKenna. I've already heard, you know, Rupert Sheldrake and Timothy Leary and Robert Anton Wilson. But at the same time to get paid, I have to make sure that I make multiple videos each week. Again, kind of like three videos a week, which is now kind of what I do with my streams. And, um, I was still making those videos, but I was thinking, man, I'd really like to talk to people about Jesus, you know, about Christianity again, in like an abstract conceptual way. And so I make a few videos where, and you can, some of them are still present 
on my YouTube channel, if you go to Church of the Turn Logos and go the very, 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 very beginning, you'll see me sitting in a little chair in my studio apartment in Berkeley. And I'm talking about Gnosticism or psychedelics and Christianity or this stuff and how I think I'm connecting dots or I see certain things. And it was that that spring semester of 2019 where I identified as a Christian. Again, I devoted myself in 11, 11, 18. So by the spring of 2019, in my mind, I'm a Christian. Um, and I start to go to like Holy Virgin uh, Cathedral, which is where St. John of Shanghai's body is um, in San Francisco. And it's a beautiful church. And I loved going there. Now the liturgies are like three hours long and you're standing there and and then I'm learning how to cross myself as an Orthodox and, and, but I'm not in a catechumen. I'm not, you know, I'm not anything like that. Uh, I remember going to the OCA uh, Russian parish there in Berkeley and um, eventually I realized, especially that spring semester of 2019, that this whole process that we began when I learned about that, I took that Bible course back in my undergraduate in Indianapolis, you know, and this was in the spring of 2009. So now we're basically 10 years later that I can't be a professor because my views, my opinions, where I'm at in my life, like I can't be a professor. Um, they wouldn't let me, I'd, I'd have to compromise my values. I can't talk about how I feel. Um, I'm on the wrong side of the culture war to develop a career in the university because that same semester, whether it may have been either the fall of 2018 or the spring of 2019, but I was taking classes there in Berkeley at the Dominican school and John Cyril, uh, for those of you who are aware that name's going to be very prominent. John Cyril is considered the, the biggest name. He's an analytical philosopher and he took on the likes of like Jacques Derrida and the French postmodernist, the deconstructionist, uh, Michel Foucault. He, he kind of combated these people as an analytical philosopher and he is the number one American philosopher. He may be the most prominent philosopher still living. And he was a tenured professor at Berkeley. And while I was there in 2017, he got fired and he got fired because of this cancel culture, because he asked somebody out on a date and they said that was sexual harassment. Now he is a very nice gentleman. And I know he did not say something that would be truly Offensive. sexual harassment. Yeah. And um, so because he asked this woman out, I guess in a professional setting, it was deemed sexual harassment and they fired him from you. And he had been a tenured professor at Berkeley since the sixties. And so I think, if they can fire John Cyril, I have no chance. Yeah. And, and then I realized I've devoted my entire life, uh, you know, for my whole twenties to getting this PhD. I wanted to be this professor and um, I didn't know what to do. So I finished that semester and uh, my life, I, I just don't know exactly what I'm going to do. do. Do I drop out? Do I continue? I can't drop out. I, you know, I've devoted a whole decade of my life to trying to be an intellectual, an academic. And so um, that led to me actually going to my last major psychedelic session, which was in the summer of 2019. I did an ayahuasca ceremony. And that's where um, in that video that I did, uh, how life comes back full circle. I, uh, so these, I have these little notebooks right and so this is the first one i bought all my streams for example 
like here's my recent one. So all my streams I have notes for before I go live, I just I just do bullet points. And this is how I can try to maintain my th my thought process when I go live. Well, the very first one was this one. And I bought it in, in Berkeley, California, on my way to my ayahuasca ceremony. I'm getting ready to go to the plane and I go down the CVS there and I buy one of these because the, the shamaness said, well, bring something to write in. And, uh, because you want to talk about your intentions. You want to have a direct intention for the ayahuasca ceremony. And I was literally going there for answers. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what to do with my life. And I'd had always done drugs to get answers for something. Or if there's going to be a transition, I'm going to do something new in my life. Okay. We're going to get really high. We're going to have a deep psychedelic experience. And this will be like a chasm. And then the day afterward, now I start whatever the new thing is. And so I write down Again, the, right here is the prayer. I write down, so this was my intention. My, it is my intention to figure out how slash what I'm supposed to do with my purpose. How do I make a living? Which direction should I move in? Lord, I just ask to be guided tonight so I can better see what it is I'm supposed to do with my life. I want to work. I want to build a career, a life, and a family in your glory. Thank you for all my blessings. And so that night... Um, during, you know, high on ayahuasca, I had the realization that uh, judgment is based on Christ and that Jesus Christ was absolutely, without a doubt, a true historical person. He is the incarnation of God. And that is why we can be judged after we're dead. How else could God judge us as humans unless he himself was a human? And so that connected that Jesus Christ was absolutely a real person and that he incarnated. The second realization was that I, my privilege was not because I'm white. It wasn't because I came from the Midwest. It wasn't because I'm a man. It was because of the morality of my grandparents and their parents and my parents. And, and it wasn't about how wealthy it was the structure, the morality that I grew up within caused me to not have the damage to not have all the chaos inside myself that when I'm at this ayahuasca ceremony, people are bawling their eyes out. They're having all these problems. They're dealing with the, the traumatic abuse from their mother or, their, or their, their uncle. And I didn't have any of it. I had no, I had no abuse for the, you know, the quote unquote, the medicine to deal with. Mm -hmm. And that was because of the morality and all those people were Christian. And then the third realization was Christ was a carpenter. And it's time for me to become a producer and not a consumer that I need to make things. And that it was quite clear that this church of the eternal logos, which I had made a few videos here or there, um, that it was time for me to take it seriously, that this was, this was my way out that this, so that prayer asking, what am I supposed to do? How am I going to make money? That it just felt in my heart that church of the eternal logos was it and that God wasn't going to give me the point A to point B. He was just going to give me the next step from point A. Yeah. And that was to go back after this ayahuasca session, the ceremony and start making videos on this YouTube channel regularly in the, in, with the intention of growing it as a real business. And so um, the ayahuasca stopped working and, and the, my friend who was with me can attest to this. I, every time the shaman would offer more ayahuasca, I would take it. I would take it. I would take it. And, and 
the visual stopped after I got the message. It felt like that I was supposed to do this church of the eternal logos thing. The ayahuasca stopped. It didn't matter. It didn't matter how much I took. It was like, it didn't do anything to me. And so that ends. Um, eventually I go back to my apartment in um, in Berkeley and I make my first video. I believe it was, it was Heraclitus and the logos. And it was this logo series or the, it was like the, the history of logos or something like that. And that was the first, that was the beginning point post this ayahuasca ceremony where I don't need the drugs. I just need to do my research and make content regarding Jesus Christ and the logos. And, uh, and so I did this series as I was talking about how logos got developed from Heraclitus to, uh, to where I'm at. And so that led to, that was in, that session was in the end of July of 2019, which then two, two years from that session was when I was invited to Montanica where I had been consuming Jay Dyer. And then two years later from doing this church of the eternal logos thing, now I'm at Montanica with Jay Dyer. Mm-hmm. We're friends. We, we, we talk to each other and I'm there to present with him. And so again, it's like, I could see how I could never see the steps beyond like one or two steps in front of me. And that's why I try to tell people that it, it, this is all about working. You have to make your hands, your mind, and your feet for the Lord, because that's the only way this stuff p- comes together. Like he's not going to give you, oh, you know, I'm going to start here and I'm going to get here. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And so the end of July, um, I could see that this whole thing came full circle in, in July of 2019, uh, August. So the, the ayahuasca sessions at the end of July in 2019 and August, 2019, I start this logo series where I start in my mind, okay, I have to make videos maybe, uh, multiple times, um, multiple times, uh, a, a, a day, a week or whatever. And, um, and my mother then gets diagnosed with a form of MS and so I decide to move from California to go live with my parents to build Church of the Eternal Logos. And I just lived off the money that I had saved up from the previous YouTube channel. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And uh, so it was September of uh, 2019 that eventually I moved back home to Indiana and I do my research remotely and I work on my PhD. And uh, I try to make videos three times a week, and only only a few times was I not have not been able to do that uh, three times a week, and so that's basically what I've been doing ever since. And you're building an amazing community, and I'm so grateful for that. For just for one of the things that I'm grateful for you for is this community because I've made so many friends through the chat in your in your streams. And a lot of your moderators are my moderators and (laughs) I chat with them on Instagram and um, it's such a supportive group of people and um, yeah, really grateful for everything you do. Oh, thank you very much. And, And that's kind of the surreal part about it is, you know, now all those and all those questions I had for God that I didn't need the, the ayahuasca necessarily, mm-hmm. um, maybe, and that's why it stopped working. It was, it was sort of like God's providence to give me the answer I wanted or needed, I guess, and then show me that that's not 
where it's coming from because now it's like it just it, that was it was blowing what because i remember telling my friend he couldn't believe it because everybody else is you know totally tripped out they can't take any more and i'm asking the shaman can i please get more like all the visuals everything it just stopped it like a flip a, a switch flipped and um I can attest to that being very, very rare. Nothing like that has ever happened to me. <laughs> like it takes a while to come down. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so now it's like, I know what my purpose is. I know what I'm supposed to do. Um, I feel like there's nothing that I like to do more than do the research and prepare for my streams and do my streams. I almost feel like the way that I try to present my streams, because I, I think I'll, you know, even though maybe it looks haphazard when I stream because I'm going all over the place, but I've already, I've already thought out the entire thing. And I'm, I'm trying to take people from wherever I start with a concept to where I think is my thesis, my premise, that maybe it doesn't make, you don't see what I'm saying at first, but if you keep watching, eventually it's all going to click. And that's the point is that I want, I love to connect dots. And, and that's the only, one of the things that avoids me from falling back into an addictive drug use as I have to read books. I have to stimulate my mind because that's what I loved about inebriation mm -hmm. is I like being in altered states. I like messing with my mind and seeing what comes up and what I think about. And if I don't read continuously, if I don't try to take in new information, then I want to take, I want, I, I just, I want to take drugs. And, um, and, and it's not like the terrible drugs that, you know, your hell, I mean, none of them are ideal, but you know, but it, that, that's, that's this craving. And so it's funny how this process, then I can see how I, and I, I, I found my purpose. I found my skill set, And then by me diving deeper into that, I can actually offer something of value back to other people, you know, and this YouTube channel has, you know, it's like 9,400 subscribers, a fraction of my other YouTube channel, but the sincerity of the relationships, the sincerity of the people I meet, the impacts that people talk to me about things that I do and it. And it's so surreal. And I talked to Jay and Jamie about this when we're in Montana, it's so surreal that when you know, I sit on a, you know, say a, a days for a stream, I wake up, I go to the gym, I try to eat, I get things organized, I answer emails, and then I sit and I have a topic and then I do research and I, and I think out what it is that I want to stream on. And I have my bullet points. And then I sit here in a room by myself with a ring light and a green light that shows that my webcam's on. And I talk for about two hours and then I turn it off and then I go back to my life. And then you get emails from people about, Oh, you said this and it changed me. And this was, yeah. and it's like me, I did that. Well, glory to God. I mean, that's when I discovered you and your channel, it was exactly, it was everything I was looking for. And I, I discovered you before Jay Dyer and both of you are so unique. I mean, the stuff he talks about, he is Orthodox, but he talks about things and in different ways, different things and in different ways than you talk about, but yet it all kind of like goes together in a certain way. Right. And um, both of you guys were offering me exact everything I'd been looking for, but almost didn't know it. And 
And then also um, Father Peter Hears, I have to give a shout out to him because yeah, um, I love Father Peter Hears. Yeah. And I'm still working through his content. I will be for a long time because there's so much of it, but right. um, he teaches from his point of view, which is clergy and um, just the historical things that he shares about the Russians or, you know, all, right. I mean, so many things. I just love him. And then the, uh, there's other clergy that we talked about before we started recording, um, Abbot Trifon. And yes. we're just so blessed with these content creators. And um, I just want to thank you again for encouraging me to start this channel. And it's like you said, it's like just taking that one step. That's all you have to do. All I had to do was record my first interview, which happened to be with Brother Augustine. And then it just started from there. And Shout out um, to Brother Augustine and his new wife and their new yes, life together. Congratulations. Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, so we've been talking for quite a while, but there was something that I really wanted to get into this sure. discussion. I ramble, and- so you have to watch it. <laughs> no, your whole that story was fascinating. You couldn't have shortened it. I mean, it was that was perfect, but uh, maybe I'll have to have you on the show again next year. We can <laughs> talk about more topics. But before we go, um, what do you because? I'll state this more as a statement rather than a question. And then you can kind of go on from there, but 2020 and now 2021 with everything that's happening in the world, there have been more people coming to orthodoxy more than ever before. And I know it's because friends are sharing your content and Jay Dyer's content, but on a spiritual level, there is this huge shift that's happening and, not just from the new age, but from Protestant backgrounds, atheists, they're, they've been searching for something and it's, and they're finding it in orthodoxy. So what would you like to say about that? I believe because um, I do one-on-ones. So again, my church of eternal logos is a business. That is how I make money. That is uh Really, everything I do, I do school research. I'm finishing my PhD. Uh, hopefully, that will be done in a year from right now. And um, but Church of the Eternal Logos is my business, my platform, my outlet, and I do one-on-ones. And the thing that I've noticed in my own experience talking to people coming back to Orthodoxy or coming not even back but to Orthodoxy from wherever they came from is the sincerest pursuit of truth. And that's a, and, and and that's how I felt when I did all the psychedelic stuff. It wasn't that I didn't think it wasn't true. I absolutely thought it was true. Everything that I did, I thought I was it, I was doing the right thing. I was doing the truthful thing. And even my ability to shake that Bible class, it wasn't like oh that you know this professor is ignorant. He doesn't he doesn't believe in Jesus. Or it was like oh wow, I didn't know that. Dang. Well, that kind of shakes me and puts me in a new place. But. I look back and I see myself this continual journey of perceiving and doing what I believed to be was true at the time. And I talk to these people who have come back to orthodoxy or, or again, just coming to orthodoxy. And that's exactly what they have done. No matter what it is where they're coming from is that there's a place in the heart where I just want to know what is true. And, and maybe that began with a sincere prayer 
uh, by oneself saying, you know, Lord, show me what is true or, or take me to the, the truth. And, and Jesus Christ is the truth. Truth is a who, not a what. And so orthodoxy is the church founded by the apostles. And I firmly believe that post the schism, that the entire Western phenomenon of Western Christianity and Western civilization has been a continual concept of progress. And that progress is a movement away from the true church and the true theology. And that's why, as Father Spirit on Bailey in one of his recent videos talks about how Western civilization is the vehicle for a demonic attack on the world, because where else would the devil attack? You know, it's not China, it's not India, it's from the place where the truth is. And that was the Orthodox Church, that is Orthodox theology, even though, again, the Orthodox Church has a history of persecuting its best and brightest over and over and over again. But the theology is still intact, and it's still the one true church founded by the apostles. And as Orthodox, we don't say that if you're not Orthodox, you're not saved. We, we don't know that. We just know that the Orthodox Church is the one true church, and it's led by the Holy Spirit. Um, but we don't say where the Holy Spirit is not. So there, there are Protestants, there are Catholics that will make it into the kingdom, and it's because of their heart. But as I was speaking with somebody recently, um, this pursuit of this road to try to know what is true also comes with a responsibility. Because if you start diving into church history and you start diving into theology and you start diving into all these different topics and these rabbit holes and these conspiracy theories or the ingredients and the stabbies, that you have a responsibility then to act on that. And if you don't, that is your own judgment. And that is a condemnation on your own soul. And that's why then people find their way to orthodoxy because they're looking for salvation. And it is the true church. Again, it's not that people outside of it aren't going to be saved because they can be, but we are the fullness of the faith. And the search for truth is, is, is a relationship with God himself. And I did a whole stream on uh, escaping the matrix and how I believe all conspiracy theories build one to follow into a paradigm that is ultimately Christian because, you know, we exist in a world where truth is an objective. But if you go down a rabbit hole and you believe in a conspiracy, you're already presupposing the objectivity of truth. You're already presupposing often a Christian morality. You're already presupposing all these things that, you know, where are you going to stop? And, and that's the difference between the people who get comfortable with, you know, um, Whatever, whatever worldview that they want to have, you know, they want to condemn the, the stabbies and maybe what's going on in regards to the sort of imprisonment of humanity, but then they don't have a God to even give them their morality that they then are criticizing the world by. And, and, and it's, and it's because you're too comfortable. You have to, you almost, orthodoxy is like a pursuit of the uncomfortableness in life and being uncomfortable is how we grow that thing. You know, you exercise, you work out. It's an uncomfortable process. Now you may enjoy it. I, myself, I enjoy that process, but the Orthodox life is uncomfortable. The Orthodox life calls for ascetic practices, calls for fasting, calls for a sacrifice of one's own pride. You know, I was recently was talking about the, the great stories that Abbot Trifon has and, and, one day he was sitting in a, in a cafe, I think in the Seattle area. And 
two gentlemen, young gentlemen come into the cafe and they sit close to where he is. He, you know, Abbott Trifon's working on his, his MacBook, getting some work done. And one of the young gentlemen say, <laughs> you'd have to be a dumb old man to still believe in God. And they said it in a way, well, clearly they're trying to point it at him, you know, because he's dressed like a monk, an Orthodox monk, and he's out in, in the normal world. And I, and I think of myself, well, what would I do? I would, I'd immediately shoot back. I would have a, a fiery response. I'd have some type of apologetics I'd hit him with or show him how illogical their worldview is. And what does Abbot Trifon do? He goes up to the barista at the coffee shop and asks if they have gift cards. She says, yeah. And he says, I want to purchase two gift cards for $10 each and please give them to the young gentleman here in, in the coffee shop, but don't give it to him till I leave. Mm. He, get, he packs up his stuff. He finishes his work. He leaves. And he comes back maybe a, a few months later, a couple months later, and he's in the same coffee shop. And just through God's providence, those same people are there. And they walk up to him and say, you know, why did you buy me a gift card? He says, well, God told me to. Wow. And the same person who is telling him that you'd have to be an idiot to believe in God breaks down in tears wow. and asks for forgiveness. And Abba Trifon says, you're forgiven. As soon as the words came out of your mouth, they hug each other. And you see that is being Christ, but that is so difficult. That's the Orthodox life. And that's always about being uncomfortable. so powerful yeah and, and so uh that's what we're called to and i see that and i want to be better at that i want to be better at what what abbot trifon calls being christ in the midst um you know i i can't help my aggressiveness i am an aggressive person even when i was in high school i got in fights i like to fight it, it was is i have that in me and it's and I listened to Abbot Trifon, but, you know, if I was in that situation and those two young men said that to me, would I have been able to change their heart? <laughs> I'm not there. No, I couldn't have. I would have said something and I, it would have just progressed and it would have been my ego against their ego. But because Abbot Trifon sacrificed his own pride, which is, which is a sort of self-martyrdom, which is then how Christianity spreads and it's always spread. His, his martyrdom of his own pride, he can touch those people in their hearts and they'll never be the same afterwards. And through Abbot Trifon, they experienced a little bit of Christ. Right. And that's the Orthodox life. And it's like, mm. that's what I want. I want to be better at that. Um, and that is living truth. And then that comes back to then why people are searching for orthodoxy and why there's such an influx into orthodoxy is I believe that uh, Jay, his apologetics are incredibly sharp. You know, you, if you're honest with yourself and, you know, you're a Roman Catholic or a Protestant, you can't hear his arguments about Protestantism and Roman Catholicism and not say, well, dang, he's got me there, you yeah. know. And now maybe I don't want to let go of it for X, Y, Z reason, but the points that he highlights, you can't deny because it's true. Yeah. And, um, and so truth then is really what people are pursuing. And if you pursue it all the way, I think it only leads in the Orthodox Christian church. Amen. Yep. I agree with you. <laughs> and I, Again, I just wanted everybody to see 
the icon here of St. Patrick that I placed behind me for today's video. Yes. And anything briefly, I mean, don't go into. No, well, St. Patrick's my patron saint. So I have him right uh, there. Um, So uh, I love St. Patrick and obviously my name's Patrick and there are other St. Patrick's that I could have chose. But the reason I chose specifically St. Patrick of Ireland is because he drives out the serpents. He drives out the snakes. He defended the faith against the pagans, against the Druids. And I see myself doing that. And I, and I see my whole life as a sort of providence that I couldn't even do this church of the eternal logos without all those experiences. And so in a weird way through sin, through, you know, drugs and sex and concerts and immorality that my, what I believe to be truth and pursuing truth led me to where I'm at now, where I can be a voice for people that nobody else can. And it's not me though, that I don't mean to be like, sound like I'm prideful or something. It's just that, but the psychedelics, you're not going to listen to somebody talk about Jesus Christ unless they've also had, you know, high DMT, uh, psilocybin, LSD, ayahuasca experience. I've done all that stuff. So then it's like, I can talk to people from a perspective where, okay, well, I can relate relate to him because right. I've done all that stuff and I thought that was true. So you've done all that stuff and you've read all the books I've read. Why don't you believe in the same thing anymore? And then it's like, I can yeah. be a bridge. Right. Yeah, you're an and, instrument. And I feel the same way because I was in the new age for 30 years and I read all kinds of books and listened to all kinds of channeled information. And so same thing. I mean, I think I could really relate to a young woman. I do. I mean, I get messages all the time. Somebody will say, I'm so glad I found your channel because I just spent all this money on this program that was supposed to teach me this or that. And now I'm realizing it's like really empty new agey lingo that is not getting me anywhere. I mean, I, I don't feel any different. I don't have any new awareness. My life is exactly the same. Um, and and now I've found your channel. Thank you so much. And glory to God. I mean, this, God. this is what it's all about. And yeah. So, right. so it's so funny then how our own individual pursuits for truth lead back to Christ, but then build bridges for other people to pursue truth. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It, it's it like, is. It's, uh, it's surreal, it's empowering, and then it's humbling. And then you, as somebody who creates content, um, you know that things are outside your control that people perceive to be like your, you did this or, or X, Y, Z, but it's, it's like, you can feel that God is working and using different things, using you. And, and that's why I pray before my streams, I almost always always pray that I can be inspired by the Holy spirit and that I can be a tool and a conduit for the Trinity and that I don't lead anybody away, but only bring them closer to God. Right. Because the, the difficulty, if you read scripture, especially the epistles is uh, if you're a teacher, you are going to be judged more severely. Mm-hmm. And so um, you can't take it lightly to try to create content. And I'm going to talk about Orthodox. It's not a joke. Uh, because if you lead people in the wrong direction, uh, that's your soul that you're condemning. Yeah. Yeah. And just a reminder or 
to any new people watching my channel is because I'm just a catechumen and I won't be baptized for quite a while. I let my guests do the teaching and um, it's really more about talking like we did today, sharing the experience, the story of how my guests got to become believers in Jesus Christ and how it's transformed their lives. And I think we accomplished that today. <laughs> Patrick. Yeah. I want to say too, in regards to the literality of scripture, um, you know, my whole process was almost Jordan Peterson esque that it's through um, prayer, through scripture, through going to church, and then eventually being brought into the Orthodox Church and taking communion that that the idea, uh, you know, before I was like, oh, you know, maybe in 2019 or even the beginning of Church of the Eternal Logos that somebody may ask, um, you know, do you, uh, you, you actually, you fully believe that Jesus walked on water? And it's like, well, uh, you know, well, I, the water is a symbol for, you know, and then now it's like, of course, because I know God incarnated. And if God incarnated as a man, there's nothing that he can't do. Right. So yeah. what, why would I get hung up on? And then why am I so concerned about pleasing or not being uh, viewed in a pejorative way by some non-believer? Um that it, you 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 can feel that the closer you get to Christ and the stronger that relationship gets, and the more literal that you're comfortable with everything, it's a strength. And though even though it's so foolish to anybody on the outside that hears you say that, you know, is that yeah, I believe I believe in the literality. And then oh, you want to get into Jungian archetypal structures? Yeah, we can talk about that too. Um, but uh, that personal relationship is huge, and that's. That was that came to me specifically through prayer and uh, well, really through prayer, because that's where I spend my personal time talking to God, both through our reading our prayer books as Orthodox. But I also advocate for people to do spontaneous prayers, unscripted prayers, you know, have a conversation with the Trinity, talk to him, you know, and give thanks for everything you can think of. Yeah. And then ask for mercy and forgiveness for everything that you can think of and pray for other people. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could talk to you for a lot longer than this, but I think this is a good place to wrap it up. And I want all my audience to make sure they're at least subscribed to Church of the Eternal Logos and then check out the website, there's members only content on there. And it's just a really great way to um, support this mission that Church of the Eternal Logos has started. And there's also a book club on there. Yes, and we're going to be diving into uh, The Master and Margarita. So we're going to read the first two chapters. Uh, it's a book by Mikhail Bogakov, of which the whole premise is the devil visiting atheistic Soviet Union. And uh, and how that unfolds. And so, yeah, there's, there's things that certainly aren't orthodox, but you know, everything as orthodox, you can use anything and use it as a pedagogical tool for orthodoxy. So I'm really excited to go two chapters at a time, uh, probably twice a month until we finish this book uh, with the Logos book club and go through the master and Margarita by Mikhail Bokakov, often considered the greatest novel of the 20th century. So, uh, hope well, anybody's we'll interested see about in that. We'll see about that. Cause I already have 
my favorite novel of the 20th century, which What's is that? 100 Years of Solitude. Oh, okay. I don't think anything can beat that, but we'll find out. I, I did order the book and I've read a few pages. So we'll, well be careful. The first, the very beginning is very confusing. So okay. anybody diving into this book, the first chapter, it's like you're reading it and it doesn't flow. You're used to reading and like things flow. It's just like, it feels discombobulated. It's like, uh, it doesn't make sense, but it will begin to fall into place. And that's part of the sort of fascination about around this text. Um, and, uh, and the then dots you, you, will start connecting. Yes. The dots will start connecting eventually. And then <laughs> I can't wait to then use it. Cause I have a window open where all the, all the Russian terms or concepts that, you know, you read it and you're like, well, I'm not sure what that word means. And you just keep going. I, I pull it up. So when we do the book club meeting, so in a zoom meeting with everybody who reads the first two chapters, all the concepts that maybe you didn't get, then we can go through and explain what they mean and, and, and why that is referenced. And so, and, and, you know, Russian words that actually mean the garden and realize, oh, well, maybe that's, that's a reference back to the garden of Eden, but I didn't catch that when I was reading it because it was some Russian word that I could hardly read. Um, um, cool. I can't so, wait. So I will definitely be there for that meeting. Oh, great. Yeah. I can't, I, I'm really excited for it too. <laughs> I, I enjoy reading, reading the book and can't wait to just get through it and then talk with people like, the whole point is everybody just reads it and then we can just get together and just like talk about it and, and see how it relates and what we learn from it. Yeah. Uh, because ironically, it's ironically, the premise of this book is that Satan visits the Soviet Union and it's Satan. It's the evil one that speaks the truth, trying to, again, trying to deceive or, or lead people. And, and it's like, wow, interesting, interesting, just a lot to think about. And then you have a telegram group. You have two, you have a chat, a telegram chat, mm -hmm. and then a telegram page that shows all your, you know, yeah, reminds, I tend us, to, mm -hmm, reminds yeah. us to watch the streams because YouTube doesn't always send the notification, right? Yeah. And I noticed uh, I've got multiple emails from people who've been unsubscribed from my YouTube channel. So uh, I think maybe, unfortunately, I'm coming under the uh, target of the censors. And so um, it makes me a little bit worried because my channel is too small to just move over to another platform and like a, enough, you know, a few thousand people can follow you so that you can start it up again. So, um, yeah, whatever's God's will. I mean, I've already yeah. given this project to him. So hopefully I can stay on YouTube a little bit longer. Hopefully things will work out. And, uh, and then also I'm on Instagram at, at D P H A R R Y, but my tell my Instagram has been really shadow banned. It went from, you know, let's say I post a story, maybe 800 views, you know, to like, now it's like 120. So <laughs> it's like, and it's because maybe I was talking about some of the things going on in, in the world and yeah. my memes were too funny, I think. Yeah. You, the topics you discuss are a little on the controversial side when you say <laughs> yeah yeah so so i'm going right. to try to start posting more on gab uh it seems like gab as like an informational platform telegram and gab i'm going to try to start focusing and then all the video platforms i'm going to try to start uploading all my streams on odyssey rumble and bitshoot um and and so and you have all those links on all of your youtube streams right in yes, the description yep. Mm -hmm. So I'll mm -hmm. probably just put, I'm, I might not put like every single 
link, but people can always find you yeah, if yeah. they just go to your channel. Yeah, and... just go to the main ones. Yep. Okay. Well, well thank you, Allison. You. I appreciate you having me on, and I do look forward to maybe the next conversation. Yeah. It is very providential that today is three years since the day that I made that prayer to God. So I, I didn't know. even realize it until I mentioned it in the story. I know. That's so, so cool. Yeah. And, oh, I just want, I know you mentioned it earlier, but reminding the audience to sign up for a one-on-one -on -one session with Patrick as well, because it's a private full hour. You can ask him anything about not just orthodoxy, but nutrition or, you know, yeah. or just like a coaching session. I was in the coaching industry for those who don't know, I was in the secular coaching industry for years. I only ever had female coaches. And then when I started listening to Patrick's streams and he was mentioning these one-on-ones, I was like, that sounds really good. Cause I had all these questions about orthodoxy. I hadn't even visited my church yet. And it, and I mean, it really helped me get my feet firmly planted on the foundation of wanting to become Orthodox, even before, like I said, even before my first divine liturgy, I knew I wanted to be Orthodox. Oh, wow. So it's a large part to do with our conversations. And well, um, glory just, to God that uh, I know we had a lot of fun conversations and we talked about this YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, in a yeah. You encouraged me. I remember I said, I don't, I can't start YouTube channel. I'm not an authority on anything. And you, and you just said, well, you don't have to be, you don't, you don't have to be an authority. You just yeah, you, you don't have to. Yeah. Your channel doesn't have to be an educational channel. Mm -hmm. It can be a lived experience channel. And that's basically yeah. what you do. And, mm -hmm. and that's why you offer a different angle and you offer all these people in our community to come in here and talk about their lived experience, yeah. which you don't need a PhD to talk about. You just have to be alive. Yeah. Right. And um, so we'll bring this to a close, even though I don't want to. And <laughs> um, for anybody interested in my coaching, I coach women only. I have an um, Instagram page that I mentioned before, A Devotional Heart. And you can send me a message there and inquire about the coaching packages that I offer. If you're a woman and um, if you're a guy, then just reach out to Patrick and be coached by him. Well, thank you very much, Allison. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your friendship. Oh, I appreciate your friendship too. You're like my little brother and <laughs> <laughs> smarter. My, my little brother, who's just like a brilliant mind and um, doing so much good work in this world. And we just, we all appreciate you so much. So God bless you, you and your God family. Bless you. Yeah. You and your family as well. And for my audience, I will see you soon. God bless you. And um, thank you for the comments, the likes, the shares, everything you do that supports this channel. Um, even though I don't always comment back to everything I get in the comments, I, um, I really do appreciate everybody who supports this channel. So God bless you and I'll see you next time. Bye.